Hello everyone, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, uh, according where you are in the world. I want to uh, greet everyone for this very special live streaming where we will talk about a topic that maybe not many uh, people are aware. So uh, we, we are talking about Americanism. What is Americanism? Americanism is many things, and uh, but is also an heresy uh, that was condemned by Pope uh, Leo the Thirteen in eighteen ninety nine with the letter Testem Benevolentiae. But it's also other things. So uh, today I am very happy and very lucky that I can discuss about uh, this very topic with a very special. Uh, panels, uh, panel, and uh, I will introduce them uh, now. And I will start with one of our frequent guests, that is uh, John C. Rao. Uh, so thank you, John, for uh, participating. Indeed, uh, this program started with my conversation with him, and I'm very happy that we were able to make everything happen. So thank you very much, John, for your participation. Then uh, also I am very happy, uh, I have a returning guest that is uh, uh, E. Michael Jones, that is among many other things, the editor of Culture Wars magazine. So thank you very much for participating to this program. And then we have uh, uh, for the first time, uh, the writer David A. Wemhoff. Uh, so I, Thank you for your participation, and I'm sure you will add a lot to our conversation. And the same uh, for sure is for um, the philosopher and writer uh, Sebastian Morello, that is from UK, if I'm not uh, uh, mistaken, yes. Okay, so thank you very much to all of you for your participation. So uh, when we talk about uh, Americanism, and maybe not many people are aware of what is this word. So I want to start with uh, John C. Rao, and um, I want to start, if you can tell us in a few minutes, and then I will ask also the other panelists more or less the same question to start. What is Americanism? Well, in effect, what it is, is it's a liberation theology. It's a civil religion, a liberation theology that really claims that the salvation of, uh, of mankind is something which comes with the entire American experience as opposed to anything connected with Christ. But it also co-opts uh, the whole Christian experience. In this regard, it's a kind of perfection of the entire sophist enterprise. The sophists tried to co-opt philosophy and then pervert it for their own purposes. In the question of Americanism, what you've got is the whole experience of the moderate enlightenment coming out of England, um, which uh, the American experience then builds on in its own, with its own particular circumstances. And what you get out of this is a claim that you've got a means through what is being offered by the American experience to the, in fact, the sole means uh, to be able to fight off uh, evil in the world. And with respect to religious matters, that means fight off things like atheism. But the price of it is that what you've got to do is you've got to reduce religion 
uh, to something which is non-dogmatic and allows uh, a means of incorporating really every kind of contradictory uh, religious element into it. And then what you do is you reduce the whole thing to a level which is naturalistic in character, focused on secular matters, um, and um, which is, with John Locke's philosophy added to the whole picture, uh, individualistic, materialistic, individualistic, and capable really of ultimately uh, supporting any kind of, um, of uh, a desire, individual passion, but also claiming that it's a tool for defending things which are good and religious at the same time. Thank you, John. So I, I want to ask uh, E. Michael Jones, uh, so what, what is your take on this topic? What, what is for you Americanism? What you can add to what John has already said? I think the context was Catholic immigrants coming to the United States of America and uh, at a time when there was a, a definite American identity, which was uh, uh, Protestant to a large extent, and uh, these, these two groups of people, these Catholic groups, wanted to fit into uh, an alien society and being offered terms that uh, seemed, seemed attractive at the moment. This took place in, a, in an ethnic uh, context. And the, the ethnic context in particular was the conflict between the Irish and the Germans at this time. If, if you look at the, uh, the uh, document, uh, announcing the consecration of Sacred Heart Church at uh, Notre Dame University, you have uh, basically the Americanist establishment of the hierarchy, and they're all Irish. The, the classic, uh, the epitome of that would be John Ireland of, of uh, St. Paul, uh, who was determined to fit in. Uh, this group uh, found itself in conflict with, with the German Catholic immigrants who wanted to come over here and have their own culture. And the battleground uh, largely was Catholic University uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, John Ireland referred to the uh, distinguished Catholic theologian, uh, German Catholic theologian, Kehensley, as a beer-guzzling Dutchman. Uh, Ireland was a teetotaler. He felt that Ire uh, uh, drink was the curse of the Irish immigrant, and uh, the Germans didn't help him at all in that matter. So what you had here was an alliance with the, the rise, rising American empire uh, at this time, the, the high watermark of empire in, in, uh, in England uh, and also uh, the beginning of it in the United States. This is the period when uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote his uh, um, uh, poem uh, congratulating the United States for annexing the Philippines by saying uh, uh, that they were taking up the white man's burden. What happened over this period of time is that the empire changed. And so the, the terms of the agreement kept shifting over the period of the rise of the American empire. And uh, so we can fast forward to 1984, uh, the American bishops are going to meet in Rome. Preparation for the synod takes place at St. Mary's College, uh, right next to Notre Dame. <clears throat> and uh, the man running this meeting was Father Brian Hare, who was the right hand man of Cardinal Bernardine, who was the de facto leader of the American church. And at this point, uh, the, the, the terms had changed to where now it was feminism was the church. The church had to adopt feminism, and he announced to those people in what was supposed to be a secret meeting uh, that uh, the church needed to learn from the United States of America because America had a better understanding of women than the Catholic Church did. This was classic expression of Americanism as of the 1980s. 
it has continued a pace now to where Notre Dame, uh, the flagship of uh, Americanism in, in the United States, I would say, is now fully on board with the homosexual agenda. So what, what has happened over this period of time is that the, uh, the United States, the church has become uh, allied with the empire in a completely, uh, an increasingly untenable situation, leading to the point now where you basically have to contradict uh, church teaching in order to be considered uh, part of it. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I want to go to, uh, to David. Uh, so, uh, what, what is your idea about Americanism? What it means to be an American? I, I want to show you uh, a comment from uh, one of our viewers uh, that say this, uh, say, uh, Maria Bianchi, say, Cardinal Marcinkus was a typical American in both Catholic. And then she said, uh, the church cannot go on with the Ave Maria, said Cardinal Marcinkos. So do you think that uh, this is a good view of uh, what it means to be an Am Americanist, the respect of being a Catholic or, or what? Well, that's a good question. I think it can be boiled down to a very simple answer. Uh, Americanism uh, is the same thing in 1899 as it is today. And that is that America teaches the church. America will tell the church what the truth is, what its doctrine should be. Now, this came about in the last quarter of the 19th century because there was a conflict in the United States uh, between uh, this idea of how to properly organize society. All throughout the um, 1800s and even at the end of the 1700s, there were um, uh, papal pronouncements that said that the church is supposed to work with the state and is supposed to work together in helping the people of the society. Well, America does it differently with the First Amendment and with a clause in Article Six of the Constitution. And what America does is it really takes away a strong independent church, a strong independent government, and it subverts people. What I mean by that is that the people who benefit the most from the First Amendment and the American system of social organization, because that's the issue we're facing with in Americanism, at least the central issue, uh, in my view, of, how, uh, of what Americanism means. When we say Americanism, we're saying America teaches the Catholic Church. And the most important issue that they teach the Catholic Church in is in the area of social organization. And by that, we mean we have no state-established church. We have free press, free speech. You can say whatever you want. You can petition the government. You have whatever religious liberty you want. And so what you basically have is power put in the hands of the plutocrats, of a plutocracy. They can affect the, um, the church, the culture. They put inordinate in, in, influence on the government. Um, we saw this last year in the United States on Thanksgiving Day, Sean Spicer was asked, how can George Soros and all these other groups wreak havoc with the American people? And he said, because of the First Amendment. That's why they can do it. And so this allows them to put a check on the church and on the government. So Americanism is not peculiar traits of the mind or of the character of a people. Leo XIII recognized that there is an American people. 
and that they are distinct from all the other people in, on, on the earth. Now, what the Catholics were dealing with in the last quarter of the 19th century was this command to go out and make disciples of all nations. But what you had is you had the Catholics in their ethnic neighborhoods on the beachhead, and nobody had a plan to move inland. If you remember the Normandy invasion in 1944, or you remember reading about it, the Americans, the British, and everybody else landed on the beaches, but then they moved in. Well, the, the, the Catholics in America didn't have a plan to do that. Cardinal Gibbons is really the guy who is responsible, in my view, for keeping Americanism alive and making it so strong. Now, he had some Confederates. Um, he had Keene in Ireland who helped him. And of course, I believe it was O'Connell uh, who also helped him. But he was key in making sure that there was not a good plan to convert the Americans. Why is that? Because Gibbons dealt with the highest levels of American society, and they did not want to have the First Amendment taken away. They did not want a Catholic society. And he understood that. He understood that there was an American people, and even Ireland said that the Americans are not going to submit to colonization by the Germans. So the Catholics in America had to come up with a plan to convert, but Gibbons didn't provide that plan. The principles remain the same today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I want to go to Sebastian. Uh, so Sebastian, you are with me, the only non-American, and I, and you are from UK, you know, you're the, the, the country from where developed you know, the United States of America. So what is your view of Americanism? Well, it's it's certainly nice for me to talk about this because, uh, as you say, I'm an outsider, but I'm I'm going to make my home uh, in, in America, um, or hopefully I've, I've been appointed uh, at Princeton. Um, so uh, this is a, a first opportunity for me to survey the territory. Um, I mean, look, if you go back to the letter testum of Benevolentio. I mean, what what Leo the Thirteenth does is he sees a three step process um, in what he calls Americanism. The first is a conforming to uh, the, the a conforming of the church to the world and to the spirit of the world. Now, this is seen to be the spirit of the age, so there's a great sense of, of we're entering an age of, of, of progress, um, uh, largely due to the, uh, the Lockean liberalism that uh, John Rowell was referring to. But the first thing that Leo XIII diagnoses is uh, this, this desire to conform the church to the age and to its spirit, and ultimately, he sees this to be a conforming to the world itself. And that's the second step in this process. And the way that Leo XIII talks about this is he talks about it as prioritizing the natural virtues. Um, so uh, prioritizing the natural virtues over the infused supernatural virtues that we receive through the sacraments. And this is... Uh, you can imagine why this is becoming a problem because essentially um, this is not a Catholic nation and these are Catholics subsisting with it in an environment which they're also having to try and call holy their own. And so 
uh, they're trying to work out, well, what can we emphasize and prioritize that we can say we've all got in common? Because not all of us here are actually living the sacramental life. The final stage in this three-step process, uh, Leo sees to be, the, in the end, the abs almost a disdain for the supernat supernatural life altogether. And he sees this to be manifesting itself in um, a, a certain uh, disregard uh, for, um, for contemplative religious life. Uh, he sees to be something developing in America, but it's clearly symptomatic of something more serious, which is this conforming of the church to the world. Now, I'll just quickly say, because in another letter, Leo XIII refers to uh, liberalism, which you can largely say is um, the prerequisite uh, intellectual system for uh, this uh, earthly optimism. Um, Leo XIII refers to it as satanic. Okay? Now, that's not just rhetoric. He's referring to a Catholic worldview which is that the world is the principality of Satan. And this is, I think, the, the key issue here. The world is understood to be the principality of Satan. So when Satan says to Jesus Christ in the desert, look, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of the cities and all of the nations. Christ doesn't say, well, no, that's not in your gift. He, he acknowledges that that is in his gift. And he calls him the prince of this world. And, it, and that is exactly why, you know, the letter of James specifically states that friendship with this world is enmity with God. So, so what, what I, I think what Leo XIII is seeing here is a much darker process going on where the world, where the church conforms itself to what is essentially a satanic principality. And um, just one last note, I suppose, the... the uh, uh, the subtitle of this meeting is um, The Forgotten Heresy. Well, it, it, Americanism is forgotten in the same way as, you know, it's very, it's very easy to forget about air when you're breathing it all the time. This is, this is essentially the, if you, if you study that, that letter, which is a short letter, um, it describes the culture of the Catholic Church today universally. Uh, and that's why it's it's so important to uh, to study. Thank you very much, Sebastian. I want before I go again to John, I want to show you that we are in YouTube Ritorna Itaca. We are in my Twitter account. You can follow also in Twitter, and you can follow in my fan page Aurelio Porfiri fan page in Facebook. If you want to follow all the updates for our program articles and things, you can go to Telegram and look for the channel Aurelio Porfiri, where you can find all the news and articles in Italian and sometimes also in English. So uh, I want to uh, ask John one question. Uh, I am um, uh, not an American, and sometimes when I hear all the rhetoric uh, uh, of um, uh, we, uh, Americans, some Americans that say that are the chosen people, uh, uh, we are the, the great, the best, 
and whatever, I, I feel a certain embarrassment because uh, from one side, I recognize, of course, the geopolitical role of the United States. And no one can deny the, the, the role of uh, the dominion in a certain way. But uh, to read all of this geopolitical fact on a religious sense, uh, I think that is, uh, uh, is um, against our own Catholic faith. So uh, I want to, uh, you are a committed Catholic, and I want to have your take on this specific issue. Well, I mean, I, f I fully agree with you. These are these are liturgical liturgical statements that they're making. It's a ritual that you have to go through to say, even if you make criticisms of the American system, you have to then say, but it's the best that ever existed. And if it were not for the American system, then atheistic communism would dominate the world. And you can pick any number of enemies. And of course, now there's Islam and other forces that are there uh, as the uh, the targets that you're, you're fighting against. Um, but they are liturgical statements. The thing that I always find interesting in this regard, um, well, let me mention two points in this respect. Uh, I, I always have in my mind uh, this statement that I read uh, in, um, I forget the author's name, but it was one of my professors at, at, at Oxford in his book on, on late antiquity of uh, a Roman judge uh, saying when he heard Christian arguments that he could not so much as even contemplate what it was that they were saying having any kind of meaning. And that's what it's like with most American Catholics. They cannot conceive that there can be any kind of meaning to any criticism of America as a kind of pseudo-religion, or for that matter, of America in terms of whatever it specifically does. They just accept it as being um, the word of God. And of course, this is drilled in uh, from from our earliest youth and by all of the iconic images of America or the Statue of Liberty uh, in in the harbor here. But what's what I find very interesting secondly in this respect is that you get this one kind of language which says that America is God's gift to the world or to use Abraham Lincoln's uh, term, the last best hope for humanity and so on and so forth. Uh, but then what happens is that if you start to poke holes in this and complain about some of the problems that come up, you get a completely different kind of argument that will be dragged up against you, which you find very much used by the sophists in the ancient world, attacking you as simply a loser who doesn't know how to uh, make uh, take advantage of all of the natural tools that you've got available to you to make a killing. Because the system is, as David said, a system which was designed to protect an oligarchy and a, plut a plutocracy and its success that counts in the way that people like John Ireland and Cardinal Gibbons indeed did um, take seriously. So then if you start to um, uh, complain about, um, about this being a rather crude um, and earthly way of looking at things, then all of the religious arguments come back into the picture. Oh, but if you don't support the American system, uh, what do you want? Do you want Hitler? Do you want Stalin in its place as though there's no other alternative? It's, it's look, they're, they're bad liturgical mantras, all of these phrases. Uh, thank you, uh, John. And uh, I want to uh, go to uh, E. Michael Jones uh, asking him, uh, a question that uh, uh, make me think a lot. We know that uh, in the 80s of the 19th century, 
we have the first use of the word modernism. And uh, um, we have the Americanism uh, uh, mentioned in this Test and Benevolencia 1899, so more or less we are opinion. What is the deep connection uh, between the uh, uh, modernism and Americanism? How the modernism uh, is connected with Americanism? Well, uh, uh, Pope uh, Leo XIII's successor, Pius X, uh, issued his uh, encyclical condemning modernism uh, about 10 years after the Americanist, uh, uh, the condemnation of Americanism, uh, uh, calling modernism the synthesis of all heresies. And uh, again, trying to deal with something that was uh, a moving target uh, because it kept changing. Uh, now, a, a man who I think is important in this regard, who brings both of these things together, is uh, Jacques Maritain. Maritain uh, uh, converted to Catholicism after being a disciple of Henri Bergson, who was uh, probably the epitome of modernism at, at this point, secular modernism. There was a church for, version of it, but certainly the secular version. And he uh, formed an alliance with uh, the French Dominican Gary Lagrange, and they implemented uh, Thomism, uh, two of the great implementers of the Thomist revival uh, of the 20th century, uh, which goes back to, again to Leo XIII, because it was Leo XIII and Eterni Patris in 1879 that made Thomism the official philosophy uh, of the Catholic Church. So you have Maritain making a strong stand, taking a strong stand, anti-modern, I think was his first, first book, a strong stand against modernism, using, linking up with Gary Lagrange, using Thomism as the basis for this anti-modernist stance in the Catholic Church and getting a lot of traction. Uh, but the important thing is that Maritain came to America. Uh, so here you have the convergence of these two, these two streams uh, he shows up at the University of Chicago in the 1930s, and there is a battle because we have a, a Jewish Thomist by the name of Mortimer Adler who wants Maritain to basically make Thomism the official philosophy of the University of Chicago. There is a battle royale. Uh, John Dewey was the leader of the other side. Louis Worth was on his side. It turned out to be an anti-Catholic battle, and basically uh, Maritain lost. This was an attempt to uh, move beyond the, the beach. This could have established uh, Thomism, a Catholic presence at one of the premier, the Rockefeller University in the United States, and it failed. And at that point, they retreated and it took up its place at Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame initially, 1953, made Thomism the official philosophy of the of Notre Dame philosophy department. It became the paradigm of Thomist uh, philosophy in the United States. And then the whole thing started to unravel once again uh, because the president of uh, the university, Theodore Hesburgh, brought in an Irish priest by the name of Ernan McMullen. And together they strangled Thomism in its cradle at the University of Notre Dame. That was the end. So if you're talking about the evolution of ideas, it came down to basically a power battle uh, because uh, Hesburgh wanted the approval 
of the WASP establishment in the United States. And he was willing to basically castrate, intellectually castrate his own university in order to get their approval. So it, it, it was based on ideas, but it came down to what I would say, simply brass knuckle ethnic warfare with people, the Americanists at Notre Dame, simply opening the gates uh, from the inside and allowing these people to come in and defeat uh, the Thomas revival in the United States. Thank you, thank you very much for your answer. Uh, I want to uh, ask David, knowledgeable because you wrote a book uh, about Courtney uh, uh, Mary, uh, a Jesuit, uh, and um, uh, I want to know uh, from you what is the uh, what is the, the, the point of contact uh, uh, of Courtney Mary with the Americanism and modernism. Well, I can talk to his contact regarding Americanism. Um, he um, was, uh, by 1943, he was talking very heavily about intercreedal cooperation. Um, and uh, he was, which was quite a change from years earlier. Um, he came in uh, to the good graces, if you will, of Cardinal Spellman, who was a good friend of, of Henry Luce. Henry Luce was the media giant in the United States. Uh, and in the United States, you have to understand, there, there's three, um, it's kind of like a troika, there's three main elements working together. You got the intelligence communities, um, you've got uh, the media, and then you got the powerful private interests, the financial interests, if you will. Um, and they work together and they work in harmony. And um, Henry Luce was uh, a Presbyterian. Uh, his lineage went, I think, all the way back to the founding, and he was definitely an American, um, and uh, he was looking for a theologian who could be an Americanist, and he understood that, and he made that very clear, and that theologian who could be an Americanist was uh, none other than John Courtney Murray. Um, at, at the end of the 19th century, in 1899, the church was still stronger than America. But by 1948, after the Second World War, the church was getting considerably weaker. Um, the Second World War made America, the United States, the winner. And so that was viewed, our society, our country was viewed as the shining city on the hill. And uh, Luce and the American um, plutocrats were looking for a theologian who could then proceed to say to the Catholics that yes, uh, Catholic doctrine does approve of the organization of the United States as the ideal. And once again, the essence of that organization is contained in the First Amendment, as well as in, um, I believe it's clause three of article six of the constitution about there being no religious tests. So um, this is what the Americans were looking for uh, and they were a lot stronger in 1948 than they were in 1899. Uh, they had a powerful media. They had political warfare on their side, which means that, um, you know, we were the guys with the white hats. And so this is the way to bring uh, the Catholics 
uh, into the American orbit. The Americans didn't want to destroy the church. They just simply wanted to make it a giant circulatory system of American ideas, namely the American system of social organization as contained in the First Amendment. Now, the Americans also did this with other religions. And uh, I uncovered those documents. They were declassified. Um, when I found them, I had some declassified. But they targeted all the religions. It was Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and, and others. So they, they targeted all of them uh, because they wanted to get this idea of social organization around the globe. It's really important. If your society is going to be organized a certain way, that affects what you do. Now, uh, I believe Mr. Morelli was talking earlier about the active virtues versus the passive virtues. Yes, the active virtues are very important in societies like America that are based on liberalism because the active virtues keep everybody involved in the system and keep the legitimacy of the system. Um, the passive virtues, though, are ones that will have you sit back more and see what's going on. I submit to you that Father Feeney understood what Carl von Clausewitz would call the center of gravity in the American social hierarchy. He understood that the real power in America rested with the plutocrats, the Harvard crowd. He knew that's where the real influence was in society. And that's why he tried to convert these people. And, and ultimately, his efforts got the attention of a lot of people. And so um, I think that is what you have with John Courtney Murray. Um, he was able to complete the work that Cardinal Gibbons started in 1876 with Cardinal Gibbons' very own catechism called Faith of Our Fathers, in which he ignored the syllabus of errors and in which he ignored all the teaching of the church on the proper relation of church and state. Because once you get that organization right, then People will say, well, I don't need to work to convert anybody. We don't need to have the Catholic confessional state. It's fine just the way it is. And actually, everything is in control of the plutocrats. Thank you. Thank you, David. I want to uh, ask uh, Sebastian uh, a question that um, I think is maybe not so easy to answer, but uh, at least you will try. So uh, I want to know... Uh, what is the the view from your country you know from uh, uk of uh, the phenomenon of americanism so uh, I, of course I, I have in italy you know I, i can tell you that we look at this phenomenon with a certain uh, curiosity sometimes and maybe also not really a good understanding if you want but i want to know what is your own uh, in your country how this phenomenon is interpreted uh, the, the microphone sorry um yeah. in, in terms of uh the americanism as a heresy um Well, in my country, nobody knows about that unless you happen to have uh, really be a Catholic with um, philosophical, theological or historical interests. So, um, but in terms of, uh, um, because obviously Americanism is a heresy and, and Americanism is in the culture of America. And that's um, Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, indeed. Uh, Um, these these two things are very deeply connected. 
And um, uh, well, it, it, the UK is very quickly becoming um, a, a part of America in many ways. You know, we, we ape constantly uh, whatever happens in the United States. Constitutionally, obviously, we, we still uh, have a pre-revolutionary uh, constitution, by which I mean an un, unwritten constitution or a constitution made up of customs and, and, and written documents. Um, and, uh, and we still have a monarchy and a, and a landed aristocracy and a house of lords and an established church and all of these uh, pre-revolutionary, uh, pre-enlightenment uh, 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 characteristics. Um, and, and yet, uh, we are always trying to behave as if um, none of those things really exist. Uh, the aristocracy are largely thoroughly embarrassed by their own status. Uh, the monarchy and uh, the various members of the royal family are constantly trying to prove that, that they, they are not really royal in any uh, proper sense. Um, uh, we, we function as, a, as an exclusive representative democracy on the whole now. The established church here is, is um, you know, it's always been a bit of a mess uh, since its founding, uh, as, as everyone knows, but it's, it's a complete shipwreck now. Um, uh, and, and all of the American themes, uh, which are so important uh, to, so tightly bound up to American history, um, like the obvious one being Black Lives Matter, where these historical claims are being made about how black people were treated in the past, etc., etc. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't have plantations here. We didn't we didn't we, we didn't we have a completely different history regarding um, the transatlantic slave trade and all of this. But we we just go through the same theatre because we see it happening over there. So we start tearing down statues and so on. And again, like the United States. Um, it's almost exclusively mi middle-class white people uh, involved in the in, in this kind of theatrical activity. So the so the um, we we've largely lost a sense of our own cultural and political tradition. That's largely connected with the weakness of the of the of the Tory um, conservative tradition in this country, and um, and we've adopted. The transnational monoculture of of America. Um, uh, so we wear the you know we wear the same Nike trainers and and New York caps and and hooded jumpers and we we, we just ate all of that now, um, uh, but without the working spirit. So we've just combined it with laziness, really. So that's the uh, that's the rather <laughs> tragic situation uh, that that. Um, the United Kingdom uh, is in. Thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. Uh, I want to go again to uh, John, uh, and I want to ask you uh, this question. So how a person like you, you are an American, can be uh, a loved country and not being an Americanist? So how, what, what is the, you know, the, 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 the limit, how you can border, you know, to be uh, uh, American, but not Americanist, 
loving, loving your country but still remain faithful uh, Catholic well, and I'm, not take another religion? Uh, but for me personally, to begin with, this was a, a difficult question uh, to, uh, to try to come to terms with. But uh, first off, on, a, on a, um, a historical level, or just as an analogy, uh, it became clear to me when I uh, was awakened to the problem of America that uh, you had situations like, uh, just to take something more contemporary in character than anything from the, from, from the ancient world, you've got the experience of Polish people who were Polish nationalists, but violently opposed to the communist government that ruled in Poland. And so it became clear to me that uh, the mere fact that I was living under a system which I considered to be uh, a, a danger uh, for the Catholic faith, that it didn't mean that I had to automatically dislike the city that I lived in or the people around me. That was one thing. Secondly, uh, there are many, many Americans who have been deeply, deeply active in all of the Catholic causes that uh, are uh, what I consider to be most important in life. And they too, although it's been a difficult enterprise in many respects, they too have had to go through an education to see that they've had to separate a lot of their, um, their, their illusions about the American system uh, from, um, from their love for their country because of the fact that it, 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 it is a problem. But it, it remains, as far as I'm concerned, a difficulty. The, the, um, the drilling in of the impossibility of there being a problem coming from the United States for the Catholic faith is something which began in uh, people, begins in people's lives very, very early. It's reiterated by every, every source um, imaginable. And, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's a, a, a constant source of turmoil for people. It's, 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 it's being brought up uh, every time there is some sort of a battle that could possibly pit the United States against, um, against something Catholic. And of course, there's always Catholic traders, as far as I'm concerned, who sell the, uh, the pass out to the enemy, such as, for example, at the time of the Iraq War, um, and um, and continuing right down through to the present. Thank you, John. Um, I want to ask uh, E. Michael Jones, uh, what, what is your uh, opinion uh, about the, your opinion about the uh, situation we are now in the sense that do you see that Americanism is stronger now or do you think is going weaker? Well, what is your opinion? The Americanist, uh, Americanist idea, you know, this kind of attitude, uh, we are stronger, we are the chosen. No, uh, Americanism uh, simply does not exist in the same way that uh, it existed when I was uh, young, uh, the way it existed at the time of the anti-communist crusade, uh, the way it existed at the time of the Vietnam War, the way it existed in the 1980s, it simply does not exist. It was destroyed by America itself. And I'm talking about the rise of identity politics. Identity politics means there's no such thing as an American anymore. You have to belong to a, a specific group, an identity group. You have to be a homosexual. You have to be black. You have to be a woman in order to be considered a true uh, American, homosexual, to give the latest uh, example. This, uh, th by, by promoting, the people like Hillary Clinton promoted this 
with no understanding that they destroyed one of the great American achievements, which was basically getting all of these uh, Catholic ethnics to identify with their enemy, their enemy. So at the same time, the Americans are coming back, the Catholics who fought in World War II, they come back to their ethnic neighborhoods and the ethnic neighborhoods are being destroyed and they don't know who's doing it. This was war against the Catholic people, and they were still loyal at this point because they thought America stood against communism. And so they were fighting. They were cheer, They were like Indians cheering on the cavalry as the cavalry rode in and destroyed their neighborhoods throughout the, the cities of the north and the east. That was a great achievement on the part of the propaganda ministry of the United States of America. Great achievement, and the Americans destroyed it. They destroyed it. There was, when I moved, first moved to South Bend, Indiana, I was impressed by the 4th of July celebration because all of the people of South Bend all came together. That was 40 years ago. Okay. Now you can't have a parade. There's only one kind of parade you can have, and that's a gay pride parade. Well, you've lost the allegiance of the American people, not just the Catholics. You've lost the allegiance of the overwhelming majority of the American people. And so the Americans are the ones who destroyed Americanism. Thank you very much. And um, I want to go to uh, David. Uh, so, uh, David, I want to ask you, um, you have... Uh, uh, you. Uh, wrote this book where you also talk, of course, about uh, John Courtney Mary and the Vatican II. You know? Do you think that uh, Vatican II was, in a certain way, the, uh, the, the, the great uh, explosion of uh, all that uh, the so-called certain Americanistic values have uh, you know, proposed for all those years? So do you think that Vatican II was very instrumental to this kind of ideology? Um, I, I, if I understand your question right, what, what you're saying is that um, there are certain values that uh, are advanced with Americanism. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. Well, um, you know, the idea is Americanism teaches the world, teaches the church, teaches the world. But that doesn't um, do away with the existence of an American people. Uh, there is an American people. Uh, there has been an American people. The Pope saw that. Uh, John Cardinal Wright saw that when he wrote his doctoral paper, uh, which received uh, uh, a Nile Obstad and Imprimatur. Um, there is an American people, and this American people has been under very steady and very pernicious attack since the end of the Second World War beginning with the Everson case. And so what you see is, I, I want to say the ideas in the First Amendment being super weaponized or being put on steroids to be used against the American people to destroy any sort of natural law development of this identity and, um, and, and perpetuation of this identity. You have the removal of, of religion, from the school, even if it is a Protestant religion, you have the separation of, of um, different uh, religions uh, from the government. You can't have any prayer in school. Yet you have things that uh, are like uh, contraception, abortion, gay marriage. Um, and then you, you have uh, all of these issues uh, that 
came out uh, with Lawrence versus Texas saying, you know, uh, a religiously based morality cannot form the basis of our society. And so we're starting to see this attack on the American people come to a critical point. And the American people rallied with Donald Trump. Now, you, we, may, we may debate whether he's a, a plutocrat or not, whether he's a good guy or not, but he tapped into that identity of there being an American. And people hearken to that. And they want to keep that identity. And that is a natural law instinct. That's a natural law desire. So we're in a very real period of opportunity here. And what we've seen in the last 13 years is an enormous amount of discussion, uh, new websites, new books about how to organize society. Um, there's a book uh, that just came out by Schindler that talked about the confessional state integralism. Integralism has been talked about for a long time. Professor Patrick Deneen at Notre Dame has critiqued uh, liberalism. So you're starting to see this idea um, come to the fore. You know, I gave a talk in National Right to Life, uh, this idea of reordering America to save the people, to save the American people. And so I gave a talk at, at National Right to Life in July of 2008, and I said, the, the problems we're encountering are, are that there are fundamental errors here in social organization that are being used against us. And I said, the best way to deal with this is to create effectively the Catholic confessional state. Everybody came out of their seats to include two Catholic priests applauding. Uh, they weren't throwing stuff, but they were applauding. They came out of their seats. They were very happy. And the only people who weren't happy were was the leadership of the National Right to Life Committee. They were the only people. They looked at their shoes and the line went dead after that. But now there are more people talking about this, saying, you know, we have a we have a structural problem here that's being used against us. So I, I echo the sentiments of, of John that this is a difficult question. How do we deal with it? And I, I have to turn uh, to, um, again, to Cardinal Wright, who said we have to be united as Catholics and we have to pursue the truth and our leadership has got to rally to the task. I think I think the biggest issue in many ways that we face in the Catholic Church is throwing off the American captivity. Uh, that somehow whatever comes out of America from the civil society, you know, New York, Hollywood, that's where all these I, I, crazy ideas come from, uh, is somehow right. And we have to deal with it and we have to approve of it. And we have to find the good in it. I think we have to look at the big picture and we have to see that there is an attack on a people. In, the, in America, in the United States, and this people is looking for virtue and life and truth, and we can provide it, and uh, we need the leadership to do that. This is a time of opportunity, and I think that we have to be true to our faith, and we have to stick together. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, I, I want to go to Sebastian. Uh, uh, before you talk about something uh, that I think is very interesting when you refer about the active and passive uh, values and uh, it remi uh, reminds me of uh, a book by uh, Romano Amerio, uh, Iota Unum, that you may know, a very popular book uh, among certain kind of Catholics and uh, he also refer about something similar. Uh, he call it, uh, uh, I don't know in English, but uh, mobilismo, mobilism, what is the word, you know, the thing that you know, these priests go here and there, this kind of uh, activism. Um, do you think that this kind of activism is a certain way to cover uh, something very important that is lacking? 
So it's a way to cover what is no more there. What, what do you think about this? Well, um, uh, in Testum Benevolentiae, Leo XIII, um, he uh, calls into question the language of the active and passive virtues. He, he says that he understands that this is the language that is being used, um, but he uh, criticizes that language and he opts for the more uh, traditional uh, language of the uh, natural and supernatural virtues. Now, um, uh, if you are, um, uh, here's the problem with the, uh, with the natural virtues, okay? The natural virtues can't save you. That's the problem with the natural virtues. So all of the natural virtues, all of the virtues that Aristotle talks about, for example, all of those have supernatural um, uh, counterparts in, uh, in the supernatural life. So um, the, the justice and the fortitude and the prudence of the Christian, the, uh, as Christian virtues, these are infused virtues. They're infused with the sacrament. So they, they assume and supersede and transform whatever we have by nature. So for um, Leo XIII, if you're embarrassed by the, the, the supernatural life because you are opting for um, a great emphasis on the old, uh, the old Hellenistic uh, virtues, the virtues that were, that were described by uh, Plato and Aristotle, or indeed uh, by the Romans, by, by uh, Cicero and Seneca and so forth, then what you're actually doing is you're opting for habits that don't give life. They don't, they don't save you. And, th and this is uh, a really big problem. Uh, to comment on, on what's been said by um, uh, Dr. Jones about the, the uh, emergence of uh, identity politics, the big, the really big problem, the big consequence of prioritizing the natural life over the supernatural life is that um, the state is always going to have some kind of religious manifestation. So now it has to opt for a, a, a natural religious manifestation because it's always going to have one because you can't just order your own citizenry toward no uh, ultimate finality. So you've got to have something. You've got to have some kind of counterfeit. And so the state has to find something, but of course it's doing this post the life of grace. So it's essentially gone through, it's, it's not like a pre-Christian nation. A post-Christian nation isn't the same kind of animal. It's gone through the whole satanic experience of rejecting grace. And then it has to come up with idols that, that, that can serve as counterfeits for true religion. And uh, I mean, the great idol in, in this kind of, uh, individualistic, you know, the, the age of, of individualism and solipsism, the, the, the great idol becomes the self and the different expressions of the self. And since you've denied the, the supernatural life, those expressions are also going to be uh, expressions of appetite. And so um, you end up with the absolute kind of uh, liturgical and theatrical chaos um, by which... Uh, by, by which the modern state orders uh, it, its life. And, and, and you're actually seeing this now in a liturgical calendar. So uh, in, um, uh, it, it, you know, 
I don't know what the, month, the chosen month is in the US, but in the uh, in the UK, for the whole month of June, um, everyone must liturgically celebrate uh, gay pride, and there must be flags in every window, in every shop, parades in every town, and so forth. Um, and and it, and it, we have this counterfeit Easter or counterfeit Christmas or whatever it is, it's, uh, and this and and. But the, the actual traditional feasts are becoming increasingly embarrassing to people. So um, uh, going to um, uh, the, this point about, um, about the confessional state, this is, this is one of the great lies that is entailed by uh, Americanism as, a, as an ideology, that in some way that you can have this separation of church and state, and then you'll have a secular arena within which you can have many players. There's no such thing as a secular arena. That's a complete abstraction. You're always going to have a, a religious state. You're always going to have integralism. You've just got to decide which kind of integralism you want. And that, I think, is the point of uh, Leo the Thirteenth, Leo who, in other places, um, so... so uh, lucidly argued for um, the, the union of church and state. Thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. And I, I want to thank everyone. We have uh, run out of time. It's already one hour we are talking about this, uh, this topic. I hope that for everyone that uh, is looking at that will look in YouTube, in Facebook or in Twitter where the, the the, the program will stay, uh, will look to this program, will be uh, interested to know more about uh, this uh, forgotten heresy, as we call it in, uh, in the subtitle of this program. So I want to thank uh, John C. Rao uh, for his contribution, as I also want to thank uh, E. Michael Jones. I want to thank David A. Wemhoff, and I want to thank Sebastian Morello for their participation. I hope to have them uh, uh, soon in the near future. I thank everyone that uh, uh, has followed this program, and uh, hopefully I will see you soon. We are planning to do a program in English on Medjugorje, so uh, be tuned, uh, go to Telegram, uh, and so you will be updated about the actual day when we will be organizing this program and we will talk about uh, the apparition of Medjugorje. We already did a program in Italian about Medjugorje that was uh, uh, much followed and of course there were people uh, in favor and people against as you can imagine but uh, it was I think a very interesting program. Uh, I already invited uh, the Dr. Jones uh, that uh, he wrote a book uh, about uh, this very topic. I already also have other guests that, uh, that have accepted to participate, but uh, when everything will be fine on, uh, on uh, Telegram. So for the moment, thank you very much to everyone and I will see you soon in uh, our own channel. Bye bye. Thank you, Aurelia. Bye. Bye-bye. Many thanks.